Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. Uh, I'm, I'm really pumped. You know, God was just speaking to my heart this week about revival. You know, revival isn't a term that's like used a, a, a hundreds of times in the Bible. Uh, but it's interesting that there's a lot of words that aren't used a lot in the Bible. But they're, they're actually insinuated. They're actually things that maybe doesn't use the word, but it talks much about the attitude, the idea, or the expression of. You know, one of the words that's not used a lot in the Bible that we use a lot today is the word Christian. Do you know that Christian is only in the Bible three times? It's in Acts 26, Acts chapter 11, and 1 Peter chapter 4. But it's amazing that we say Christian all the time. And I want to, I want to read the story to you about the very first city in the world that people were called Christians. If you have your Bible today, turn with me to Acts chapter 11. If you're ready to have a good time, say, I'm ready. I think it's funny that people get offended at people getting excited at church, but we don't get offended at all when people get excited at sporting events. Why do we lose our minds at, come on, Rams games, Dodger games, come on, Angel games, Laker games, but at church we're like, we got to sit there like the frozen chosen. We got, come on, it's okay. Let's just let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Can I get an Amen. I can't get a Pentecostal amen, you can throw up a Baptist head nod, a Presbyterian eyebrow raise, or a Latter-day Saint deep breath. Come on, give me something. We're going to have a good time today. I do believe that faith is something we lean into. We're not somber. We're not sitting here like the cover girl for the book of Lamentations. The only person that we all know that died came out of the grave. So we're fired up today. God's going to meet with us. He's going to speak with us. And if you believe it one more time on credit, say amen. All right. So we got the Bibles today, Acts chapter 11. If you're brand new to our church, I'm going to read 11 verses, starting in verse 19 of Acts chapter 11. This is one of my favorite stories of revival in the Bible. And I'm going to be, for the next four weeks, I'm going to be talking about getting up, praying up, speaking up, standing up. I'm going to be talking about what revival looks like. I want to start today by talking about get up. You know, revival means to awaken. It means to come to. It means to sit up. And I believe that God is actually right now in the, in the climate we're in, we're in a political storm, we're in a, we're in a, uh, we're in a storm, uh, there's like all kinds of forces going on with politics, with, with economic uh, instability, and there's so much going on in the world right now. There's divides, it seems like you have the, the far left, you have the far right, and the middle is kind of blown out. There's a great divide, there's really almost an animosity towards people that are nothing like you. It's, it's crazy that the Bible forecasts, in the last days, men will be without love. The love of many will grow cold. And we're living in a time that the devil is trying to encourage us to have hate for other people. I want you to know that any religion that prescribes to a belief system that encourages you to hate human beings is not from God. We don't serve a God that wants us to hate anybody. The Bible says that God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. It says that he desires that all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Come on. So today, I'm going to start this series off by talking about really what revival causes us to do. It causes us to get up. Get up. If you have your Bible, Acts chapter 11, why should I pay attention, preacher? Well, because I think that what, I'm going to give you six ideas today, six points, that you'll actually be able to investigate in your own life to see if, if revival is working inside of you. Is revival at work inside of you? I would be bold today and say society will never be revived if the church is not. 
Revival starts in God's house. If the people of God aren't excited, the world will not be excited about God. If the sons and daughters of God do not know God, why in the world would society? What happens in church, this is not Vegas, does not stay here. Can I get an amen? This has to leave the tents. It has to leave social media. I heard one of my favorite scholars, he said that, that there has to be unction in the pulpit and then there has to be action in the pew. And I believe the day that God is going to speak. If you believe it, come on, say yeah. If you have your Bible, Acts chapter 11, I'm going to read 11 verses. I'm going, to, I'm going to pray, and I usually pray for the Lakers, but God doesn't answer every prayer. So we'll just get them next year, amen? But uh, I do want to pray, and after I pray, I'll tell a couple stories. Uh, I try to use, you know, humor. Uh, I think that humor is a gift from God. I think that, that humor is like medication. It kind of sweetens the medicine as it goes down. So I'll tell a couple stories. I'm a dad, so they might be dad jokes. Is that okay? And uh, I'm going to bring it back to these six ideas of what revival does. Revival does six things. And I'm going to start the series about how it causes us to get up. You ready? All right, Acts chapter 11. Uh, very interesting story here before I read it. This is right after Cornelius, the very first non-Jew, gets baptized and encounters the Holy Spirit. There's a big, a big meeting at the church headquarters. They're arguing over, hey, I thought this Christianity message was just for Jesus. I thought this was for Jews. I thought Jesus died only for Jews. Peter's like, no, man, I saw a blanket. I saw some stuff coming down. I heard a voice saying to kill and eat. It was crazy. It was wild. So one of these guys, the Holy Spirit said to, to believe and not doubt, go with them. So I did. The Holy Spirit showed up to these people that weren't Jews like he showed up to us. So like, well, I guess it's for everybody. We pick up reading right after the Holy Spirit falls out. And by the way, this is maybe the most significant revival because it's the very first time in the history of the world that the Spirit of God was poured out in, in, a, in a setting for all nations. And it was a targeted campaign for non-Jews. Are you with me? So like Acts 2, it, the Holy Spirit was poured out. It says everybody got, the, the, 120 got filled and the world took notice but really, Christianity, if we're being honest today, it started in rural Galilee, and then it went on to metro Jerusalem, and this is the very first time in history that it's in a cosmopolitan city called Antioch. Antioch was the second most godless city in the world. It was known for uh, dozens of false religions, pagan practices, pagan prostitutions in the, in the, in the temple of, uh, of uh, not Diana, but of... Uh, Ah, uh, no, what's her name? Uh, Daphne, that was her name. The temple Daphne, it was, a, it was a sick city. It was a wealthy city. It was a godless city. They gambled. They used to gamble on, on chariot races in Antioch. It was actually a very cynical city. They would joke about a lot of things. Actually, when they called Christians Christians the very first time there, it was actually, uh, it was the non-believers that named Christians Christians. They were kind of joking about it, but it stuck. Kind of like some of your nicknames. So, if you have your Bible, Acts chapter 11, if you're ready to go, say, I'm ready. Sorry, I'm fired up. I'm going to preach like it's my last time in these tents. Acts chapter 11, it says this. Now, those, verse 19, now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen's death in Acts chapter 8, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But, some of them, some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, 
The Hellenists were Greek-speaking, Greek-cultured Jews, and they spoke to them, um, uh, uh, and they preached Jesus the Lord to them. And the hand of the Lord was with them. Was with who? The nameless pioneers. I love that the greatest revival to hit the known world started with preachers we don't even know their name. I love it. It says that they hit, that the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Say it with me. Believed and turned to the Lord. Come on, this section's believed, this section's turned to the Lord. They what? And they? I believe that Christianity is not just belief. It's turning to the Lord. Some people believe. It says even the demons believe, but they ain't going to heaven. It is not only belief. It's when we turn to him. We live for him. We want to become like him. We let him form him in us. They turned and they, they believed. And it goes on. And it says that the news of these things came to the ears of the church of Jerusalem. That was 300 miles south, right? And when it got to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, they sent a really faithful man by the name of Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen, he came and he saw the grace of God. Can I stop there? You know, church is revived when the grace is visible. What does grace look like visible? It looks like marriages that we're going to go under. It looks like people that you never thought in a million years would sit in a church service. And they have their hands up next to you crying. Grace is visible when stuff happens that you never would project could happen. Let's keep reading. And it says he saw the grace. He was glad. He encouraged everybody there with purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man. He was a good man. He was what? He was a good man. He wasn't just good. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And he wasn't just full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of faith. Before I preach today, I would say this, that revival is built by good men, good women that are full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. For you can be good without the Holy Spirit. You can be full of the Holy Spirit and not have tons of faith. I believe that God's looking for men and women that have good character. They're full of the Spirit and they're, come on, full of faith. So Barnabas, he's, he is these things. He encouraged them. And it says, great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed from Tarsus to seek Saul. This is crazy. At the height of the revival, he leaves the revival, travels 100 miles north to Tarsus, and he finds an ex-terrorist by the name of Osama bin, no, no, it was Saul of Tarsus. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled together in tents, no, and they, they came together, and they taught the great multitude, and disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. In those days, a prophet came from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed them by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout the world, which also did happen in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples each, watch this, according to his ability. Whose ability? Their own ability. Determined to send an offering. They sent relief. They sent money. They sent resources to the brethren they didn't even know in Jerusalem. This they also did and sent elders by the hands of Barnabas and by Saul. Say with me, get up. Yeah. Say it like you mean it. Get up. Yeah. I pray, Lord, today that, Lord, I, I sense it. You are reviving your church. I pray that we would not be sleeping. I pray that we would not be like the foolish virgins that don't have any oil in our lamps. But I pray, Lord, that as you return, it says, will the Son of Man find faith in the earth? 
God, elevate our faith. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. And God, give us good, godly character. Lord, we love you. Fill us up. God, bless the Lakers next season with the championship. And God's people said, come on, amen. Always lose some steam at the end there. Uh, I don't know. There's like 9 billion something people in the world. 9 billion-ish, I think, somewhere in there. It's a lot of people. But I, I'm, I'm convinced there's only two types of people in the world. There are those that sleep easy, and there's those that sleep difficult with difficulty. It's a tough word to say, difficulty. I have found there's some people that they don't need an alarm clock, and there is other people that alarm clocks, they have immunity to it. Is there anybody in this room, come on, that has somebody in your family that will sleep through? Come on, their alarm clock will wake everybody except them up. Mackenzie's alarm clock is upstairs, the opposite side of the house. And after about two hours, I'm like, I got to get that thing off. She will sleep through that thing. I am shocked. You, you, some of you know what I'm talking about. You have the gift of sleep. My wife knows that I can just, I will be in mid-prayer at night. And like, Lord, I just thank you for what you're out. I got the gift of, of napping, sleeping. My wife is like a, pan, like she's, she's like a, She's like a cheetah, man. She can pounce. Like she can, she, she can hear ants on the back patio. What's that noise? It's funny. One of Chloe's first things that she said when she's a little baby, she said, what's that noise? What's that noise? And it's because she heard her mom always saying it at night. We're saying, what's that noise? Like, Rochelle, look. We don't live where I grew up, okay? We're going to be all right. She's like convinced there's like axe murderers or something. I don't know. It's like we're like on the hunt. And by the way, I do have a problem. Our circuit, because my wife has spooked me out with, you know, what's that noise? One time the circuit breaker did go out. And I looked everywhere in my house to see where I had to like flip the switch. It was no, I, listen, Idaho has one thing right, right? They put the panel inside of your home. California conveniently puts the circuit breaker outside for serial killers. Has no one thought about this? Like, why is it outside? I looked everywhere. I'm like, why? This makes me feel unsafe. My breaker is outside for anybody to mess with. What's alarming about my wife is there's times I'll come home late. We'll play pickleball. Come on, shout out to pickleball. Play pickleball late at night. I'll come home. She's putting the babies to sleep. And I'll come in the, the house, and I will, like, I'll, like, clean pots and pans, cook a meal, watch Sports Center for two hours, and then she'll come out with suspicion. And she'll go, oh, I didn't know that was you. I was like, you were okay with a stranger coming into our house, cleaning our dishes, and preparing a meal, watching TV on our couch, and there was no red flags? No phone call, no text? Say with me, get up. There is something about revival that has the ability to get people up. It's funny that all of us sleep, all of us wake up every morning, and there is something about waking up that you become aware of things that you were not aware of previously. I think one of the things that right now is in our, in our land is there are so many people that are alive, but they are not awake to the things of God. They're awake to their jobs, they're awake to their spouse, they're awake to a lot of things in their life, but they are not awake as it pertains to who Jesus is and who God is inside of them. 
It's like many people are living like the walking dead, that they're, they're functioning. They wonder, why am I empty? Why do I feel like I've achieved success in my career? I've, I've reached benchmarks and milestones, achieved goals. I finished things that I set out to start. And it's amazing that there's still a depravity, there's still an emptiness, and there's still a void. It seems like that only God can feel. There's many people that live, and they're not fully awake. You know, some people say, Mark, well, what is revival? I think revival is, is really important in life. Can I get a good amen to that? Amen. Revival is this, this big idea that revival really is, is what happens to people when God works in their hearts. If you could boil revival down, it's when God stirs your heart with his things. Revival is when God begins to go, I don't know why, but I just feel like my appetite for Jesus for the things of Jesus, for the Bible, for people, for love, for helping others, for serving others, for blessing others. It's crazy that revival is what happens inside of the hearts of God's people. I think that revival is a, is a culture of the heart that, that God is trying to cultivate. And uh, this, is, this is so interesting. One scholar said that culture is religion externalized. And I believe that the culture that we live in reveals the type of revival we do or we don't have. I am shocked today that the biggest TV shows on television are about deception. There's a new show, that, there's a new show called Evil. It's like we, we glamorize the idea of demons and darkness and, and, and adultery and sleeping around and, and living, living godless lives and drug use, breaking bad. It's like, why are we fascinated with the fallen nature of humanity? Why are the people that get awards that are Academy Awards, people that emulate liars and stealers and drug users and addicts and people that take their lives, why do we celebrate things that God does not celebrate? Why do we live in a world that's lost its way? We call bad things good, good things bad, rights up, downs, downs, downs up and, and, and ups down. What has happened to the fabric of our society? I believe we live in a time period, maybe more than ever before, that we need to see revival. Revival is a shift. Can I get an amen? It's a shift. It's when, it's when things start to change. When God renews a heart, we begin to care. We begin to want different things, different habits, different values, different practices, different beliefs. And I believe that when God builds a different type of culture in our hearts, when it happens on a large scale, it begins to turn society. Throughout history, God has always waited for adverse times to revive things. I don't know why. If I was God, I'm like, hey, can we start the revival before things fall apart? Can we wait until uh, Egypt is not oppressing us for 40 years to send Moses? Can we wait uh, before we have to suffer for four decades with Tevas that did not wear out? Before you raise up Joshua? Hey, God, can we, uh, can we maybe uh, get someone to hear God's voice before it's rare in the days of Samuel? Hey, God, can we maybe raise up the walls of Jerusalem before we have to wait for Nehemiah and Ezra? Hey, God, it'd be great, man, before Nineveh falls apart, that you don't send the chicken of the sea. Come on, Jonah. Hey, God, can you please revive the Assyrian capital of the world, Nineveh, the enemies of Israel, before this chicken of the sea has to come here and revive us for three days? Why does God wait for, 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 for times of persecution, times of turbulence to awaken people? 
Well, I have found that our human condition is normally this, that we don't get hungry for God when we're full of society. Some people say, well, Mark, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. I think that we're so earthly minded that we're no heavenly good. I think that we have hook, line, and sinkered. We have adopted the customs of our land. We speak the language of our land. We adopt the patterns of our land. The same, the same divorce rates outside of the church as inside of the church. Alcohol abuse, substance abuse, lying, all the darkness out there seems to have found its way in here. How could God revive a world if the church is not revived? But what I found is this, that revival always has a few, uh, a few, uh, few key traits of revival. And if you're writing these things down, I want you to write this down. I believe that, that revival usually always starts in some sort of persecution. Revival always starts with some sort of opposition, some sort of persecution. You look at Elijah. Elijah has, right, Jezebel and King Ahab. You got people, uh, you look at Jonah had the Assyrians. You have Hezekiah. You got Josiah, Zerubbabel, Zechariah, Ezra. Uh, you, you look at all throughout the Bible. Whenever there was a revival, there was some sort of adverse, adversity going on. And here's what I know about God is God is a God that bends the adversity. Write this down. Bend persecution. I believe that we serve the only king, the only God, that has the ability to take what the enemy meant for evil and to turn it around for your good. Yeah, it's good preaching. I know it. We don't want to clap for it because I don't know if that's true. It is true. You look at the Bible. You will find over and over again that before God does something big, the enemy always seems to come in like a flood. It's crazy that you read the Bible, you see about, you know, even, even look at like, like Elijah. He was going to call down fire. One man was going to turn a nation back to God. But before that, there's a showdown off the mountain, mountain, and there's 450 false prophets cutting themselves and doing all kinds of crazy pagan practices before God shows up mightily in Israel. You look at Samson. Before he would take down more enemies in his death than his life, he has no eyes, he has no hair, but God puts him between the pillars. God has always leveraged persecution, and he's used it for his advantage. We know the story, Acts 2. There is a bunch of people that they were either amazed by the Holy Spirit falling, they were either confused about it, and guess what? There was people mocking it. They're like, these guys aren't full of God. They're just, they're full of Miller Light. It's Miller time. They're having the, sil the silver bullet over here, right? What's going on? They're making fun of the move of God. And there was enemies, right? You look at Acts chapter 6. It says the Hellenists were complaining when the church was multiplying. It's wild that before God multiplies, there's usually always people that try to attack the church to complain about it, to make an accusation about it. You show me a church that revival hits, and I will show you websites that are dedicated to attacking it. I promise you. You type in your favorite preachers in the world and write something after it and say, there's websites dedicated to attacking God's bride. And I've learned this, that Jesus never made a ministry of attacking leaders that are doing something for God. I'll keep going. Actually, let me share some of that. I believe the two enemies of revival is the pharisaical spirit and the pagan spirit. The pharisaical spirit is people that want 100% truth and zero grace. And the other thing that attacks revival is the pagan spirit that's 100% grace and zero truth. How do you steward revival by saying, God, we're going to be full of grace, but we're also going to be a people full of, come on, can I get a good Amen. What do we know about this? Well, it says that 10 years before 
this revival hits Antioch, all of these Jews were actually living, they were living in Jerusalem. And it's wild. You know how big God is? God used the death of Stephen and the persecution of a terrorist by the name of Saul of Tarsus to actually push the church out of Jerusalem. God would leverage the persecution of the church in Jerusalem to actually tee up 10 to 20,000, scholars say, Jews to move into Antioch before the revival would hit Antioch. God almost sowed seeds of his people in the ground before the, the revival would take off in the city. And that's what I've learned about God is he is a God that will bend the persecution that was against you for your advantage. I believe that God can position us through persecution, that God can bless us. It says Isaiah 61, 3, that he gives us a crown of beauty for the ashes. It says in John 12, 24, that unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, that it cannot produce a massive harvest. I heard a story about Martin Luther King Jr., and it says that they, they said that his greatest speech was not, I have a dream, that was at the, the steps of the Washington uh, or the Lincoln Memorial. They say that his greatest speech was the night when he was in Alabama going to a church that a rock went through his window at night and almost killed one of his babies. He said that on the note it said, if you go to church tonight, we will kill you. And there was something inside of MLK Jr. that night that made up his mind, I would rather die living for my mission. And I believe that MLK, this one, one historian said this way, he died that night in Alabama. And he lived the rest of his life as a dead man on a mission. I believe you will never know what you're called to live for until you know what you're willing to die for. I am willing to die for revival in California. Come on, I'm willing to die to see Jesus go to the ends of the earth. The light to penetrate the dark. Are you hearing me today? We got to be a people that God can't give you everything until you're willing to give up everything. We serve a God that revives people and he bends persecution to our advantage. And I believe that not only will revival ban persecution, the second thing, by the way, you'll see in the book of Acts, before there was multiplication, there was persecution. Happened all over the book of Acts. And the second thing that we see with revival is, is there was dramatic conversions. What is one of the signs that revival is breaking out in a church, in a city, in a region, in a nation? I'll tell you what one of the signs is, is you will see people that you never thought would know Jesus, never love to pray, never go to church, showing up in the masses and sitting next to each other, raising their hands with tears streaming down their cheeks. I was talking to one of my business friends. He, he was not a churchgoer before Ocean's Church. He spent a lot of time talking bad about churches. He said, I've been bumping into my friends that I knew from the business world and from the clubbing world. He says, we bump into each other in the tents at Ocean's and we say, what are you doing here? And I say to them, what are you doing here? And they both realize that there's somewhere they thought they would never be. You know what revival does? It awakens those that you never would guess that would come to wake, come, come to terms with God. It's so true. We see it throughout the Bible. That great numbers, it says, heard and believed. They what? They And they believed. And when they heard, they turned to the Lord. This is the first time in history that different ethnicities, people groups, and, and, and pockets of a city would come to Jesus and worship one name. Yeah. It was wild. It actually it, it drew people together. It says that Barnabas saw this grace and the God, the grace of God was visible. Yeah. It was the least likely, though. It was the least likely. It's always funny in church. The people that you would guess as a pastor would go on to change the world, sometimes are the ones that don't do anything. And the ones that you never would bet on 
are the ones that surprise you. And you're like, oh my gosh, they are changing the world. I believe we serve a God that specializes in dramatic conversions. What do you mean? People that you never thought would call on the name. People that you never thought would be hosting a Bible study in their living room. People that you never thought would be getting water baptized in a horse trough, come on, in a park or a parking lot. It's crazy to me how God is a God that when revival breaks out, it's the least likely that become the best followers of Jesus. And I am convinced that we are in a time period in history, that we are in turbulent times. We're in divisive times. We're under attack as a church. We're under attack as Christians. We're under attack as people living in California standing for truth. But I'll tell you that it's in turbulent times that God does his greatest work. I promise you that God will revive people in turbulent seasons better than any other seasons in history. I believe we live in a window that, like Europe, we need more Luthers. Like, like, like England, we need more John Wesleys. And like American history, we, we need more Billy Grahams. God is looking to raise up more men, more women that love God and stand for the truth. I'm convinced of it. And what happens when revival hits is it begins to bend persecution for God's own means and his own ends. God allowed the scattering to grow the church. He sent the gospel further in persecution than it ever would have gone in prosperity. And beyond that, he actually dr dramatically converted people that no one thought would ever be Jesus-loving followers. And after that happened, you know what happened next? Is there was rapid reconciliation. Revival reconciles things rapidly. What do you mean? I mean, um, if you want to see different ethnicities get along, put Jesus at the center of them. You want to see different political party people getting along? Put Jesus at the center of them. The church is the only place in the world that rich and poor can sit next to each other. That black and white can sit next to each other. That, that, that those that were raised by great parents and those that were raised with no parents can sit next to each other every single week and love one another. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Jesus alone is the one that can heal the human heart and break down the divides in our society. America, I'm, I'm, not against, I'm not against, man, doing great causes and being a part of organizations, but I will say the greatest unifying entity on the earth is Jesus and his church. His church. That's why, man, if you're racist, you will not like heaven. The Bible says it's a place of all tribes, all tongues, all nations. And I believe that the church in, in the earth today has to be a representative of what heaven's going to look like. I am so grateful that we serve a God that wants to unify people. They're all different types of people, man. All types of backgrounds, political parties, ethnicities, social economic statuses that began to worship God. I remember reading about one, one revival. Actually, one of my, one of my mentors, he, uh, he went to this revival in Texas in the 80s. And this was really a heated time of, of uh, racial divide. And he, he told me the story. Actually, there's a video about it uh, somewhere on, on, on YouTube. But about a guy that was leading the KKK and a guy that was leading Black Panthers. And these two guys in the same church service got saved. They would go on to become best friends. No, uh, Listen to me. There's nowhere else on the earth the leader of some crazy group over here and the leader of this extreme group over here would become BFFs. Only Jesus does that type of heart surgery. Can we agree on that today? In this time, Antioch had 600,000 people. 
they say there was over 18 different sectors of the city segregating different religious persuasions, separating different type of people groups, and there was a major barrier. Listen to me. This is a cosmopolitan city. It was a pagan city. It was a dark city. It was a rich city, and there was a, a lot of division going on. But when Jesus came on the scene and they started calling them Christians in Antioch, listen to me, what happened? God brought the walls down. You know what revival will do? It'll bring the walls of division down in our societies. Good spot for an amen. Come on, give God a hand clap if you believe that. Revival is a sovereign work of God that transforms the hearts of everyone in that region. That's what happened in Antioch. Number four, I believe, how do you know if revival's happening? Well, you, you'll have a different attitude about persecution. You'll realize God can bend this. Second test you'll see is you'll go, man, God, you can dramatically change my heart in revival. Third thing you'll notice about yourself is you've got to reconcile things rapidly. Some of you haven't talked to moms or dads or sons and daughters in 10 years, and God in one moment can touch your heart, change your attitude about people you've been hating for decades. See, revival will reconcile things rapidly. And the fourth thing, uh, a fourth sign of revival is true revival by the Holy Spirit will always unlock generosity. It is so wild. There is nothing else in the world that unlocks a generous heart like the Spirit of God. It's crazy. It says Agabus shows up to this church. He prophesies, hey, guys, there's a, there's a famine coming. And it did happen. A.D. 49, one of the greatest floods it flooded the, the plains of Egypt that all the, all the fields were ruined. It inconvenienced the rich, but it devastated the poor. And it was the generosity of the church in, in Antioch that sent relief to Judea that sustained many believers in that day and age. You listen to me right now. I, I read Timothy Keller said this powerful statement. I, I'll read it to you. This is, he says the early church was distinctly, strangely different from the culture around it in this way. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. And the pagan gave nobody their money and gave practically everybody their body. Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body and practically everybody their money. You see, it's amazing that before Christianity, there wasn't people that were interested in helping people that no one else could help. Did you know that it's, Christi it's Christians that started the first hospitals in America? Did you know it was Christians that started the first universities in America? Yeah, do your homework. Stanford, Harvard, St. Luke's, St. Jude's. Why are they all named after saints? It's because it was the compassion of Jesus that sent people to meet the needs of others. And I'll tell you, you want to see God revive your heart, it'll always be evidence in your checkbook. God doesn't just get a hold of your heart, he gets a hold of your wallet. And I'm not talking about just supporting churches. I'm talking about being generous to others. I shared the story last service about a youth pastor moved to an expensive city, and they just had their first kid. And his wife, right after she had their first baby, started working at Starbucks. There was a businessman from that church that would show up at that Starbucks and, and see the youth pastor's wife working there. And she said, how long have you been working here for? Didn't you just have a baby? She said, yeah, I just had the baby, but I had to get back to work to kind of help, you know, pay the bills. So he said, hey, give your husband my phone number. So the youth pastor called this businessman, and the businessman said, hey, when I was young, we struggled financially. He said, I really I messed my marriage up in the early days because I worked so much trying to get ahead. God has blessed my wife and I with a great marriage and a great business. Will you meet with me? So they would get together, and in that meeting, this businessman said, hey, I saw your wife was working. Why is she working? And he said, well, we got to pay the bills. 
He said, how much does your wife make a month? And he told her the amount. He, he said, I want to make a deal with you. I will pay your wife's salary. So she can be home with the kids. She wants to be home with the kids. If you'll let me mentor you once a month in your marriage. This youth pastor's friend of mine told me this story personally. And I'm telling you, I thank God for businessmen and women that have a vision. Kingdom-minded people that have a vision that we're not blessed to be greedy. We're blessed to live generous. Amen. No other leader, no other church, no other doctrine teaches about giving away and not hoarding. We are blessed to be a blessing. And I believe that true revival will unlock generosity in your heart. I believe this, the, the fifth thing. Are you still with me today? How do you know if revival is happening in a church in your life? You'll see how God will bend persecution. You'll see how God dramatically converts circumstances and people. You'll see how God reconciles uh, situations and relationships. You'll see how God unlocks generosity. And the, and, the, and the fifth thing, you'll see a desire inside of believers to lift others. True revival is not about one or two famous Christian preachers. True revival is when the church has a burden to lift up the next generation. You read the story, what does it say about Barnabas? Barnabas left at the height of revival. He travels a hundred miles to the north, to Tarsus, to find a young leader in the church by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Saul spent 10 years preaching in his hometown, and Barnabas goes, I know a guy that can lead this revival in Antioch. He finds Barnabas, or Barnabas finds Saul, Paul. He brings him to, Tars, uh, to Antioch, and he says, being you, I'm going to raise, I'm going to be part of empowering you to pastor the greatest church that Antioch has ever seen. And Barnabas, what do Christians do? They don't just pour into themselves. You know why some of you stop growing? Because you stop feeding other people. Part of the way that we grow as believers is by feeding those around us. Can I ask you, who are you feeding? Sometimes the only person we feed is ourselves. And you know what happens if you just eat all the time and you never digest your food? You will get bloated and eventually you will die. I believe many Christians, we eat great messages, we go to great churches, we listen to great podcasts, and who are you passing it along to? Nobody. You know what you're doing is you're eating, 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 and you're not digesting the food. I believe that God is looking for people that actually have Timothys. Can you write this down? I believe every believer needs to have a Paul. You need a Pastor Paul. Pastor Paul is someone you go to with important decisions. Pastor Paul is someone that you get advice and counsel from. Pastor Paul has the, uh, he has the permission to correct you when you're off. We all need a pastor. And not only do we need a Pastor Paul, we need a Brother Barney. Say with me, Barney. Barnabas is a sidekick in crime. Barnabas is a friend that you bounce things off of. You hang out with Barnabas. You barbecue with Barnabas. You spend the 4th of July with Barnabas. Your kids know Barnabas' kids. You're growing up in the same neighborhood with Barnabas. Barnabas is someone that loves God like you do and sits next to you at church. Barnabas is someone you bounce things off of that you don't waste Paul's time with. Everyone needs a Barnabas that's doing ministry alongside of you. And I'll tell you the third relationship you need. You need a Timothy. Timothy is someone that you're pouring into. Timothy is someone that you're teaching what you're learning. You know, there was times in my life that I didn't grow as fast because there was no one counting on me to grow. You know what motivates many of us to go to a higher level? Someone counting on us to win. It's a good preaching today, man. I don't care. I'm not preaching to your face. I'm preaching to your hearts today. God wants you to grow so you can feed those behind you. Isn't it funny when you're a little kid? 
you're in second grade, you think fourth graders are huge. One day I'm gonna be so mature like those fourth graders. And you get the fourth grade, you're like, oh my gosh, sixth graders are like adults. I look up to those sixth graders. And then you get to sixth grade, you're like, oh my gosh, those junior high kids are giants. When I get to junior high, I'll have life figured out. And you get to junior high, you're like, man, those high schoolers, man, they can, they can drive. They're like real adults. And you get to high school, you're like, man, I'm still a baby. I, but when, when I get to college, when I turn 18, then I'll be an adult. Come on, all those know. Then you turn 18, you're like, oh my gosh, when I turn 21, that's probably when I'll feel like an adult. And you wake up and you're seven, you're like, you're still waiting. Am I gonna feel grown up at some point? Here's what I know is everybody looks up to somebody. Who are you pouring your life into? Because if Christianity is only about you and those that have your last name, you're missing out on one of the greatest blessings of following Jesus, which is actually lifting other people up. Barnabas said, Paul, get in here. You're gonna pastor this church. You're gonna love this city. You're gonna pastor the brilliant minds. He needed a pastor that didn't speak one language or two languages. The apostle Paul spoke probably five different languages. God spent 10 years developing Paul for Antioch. I believe God is preparing some of you for Antioch's. There is preachers in this room. There is, there is actually leaders in this room. There's evangelists. There is prophets. There is apostles. There is teachers that God is raising up. And you listen to me. God's heart as educators and leaders and teachers is not to cut down jungles. Our job is to actually bring irrigation to the deserts. We're going to be a church that irrigates the dry places with the Word of God. Almost finished. We're going to lift others up. What happens after that? Well, true revival, it transforms culture. What happens in true revival? I'll tell you what, in true revival, you'll see a few things that always happen in true revival. It's so cool to see. You'll always see people have a new appetite for prayer. People always, they love to pray. That's why I'm going to talk about uh, praying up. You start praying, you start spending time with God. In any revival in history, you look at the Welsh revival, 1904, 1905, it hit revival, hit so hard in, well, in the Welsh revival that the miners were so foul-mouthed, they had to retrain the donkeys because all of their orders were cuss words. And when the revival hit, the vocabulary of an entire city changed. The Rochester Revival, one of the great revivals in American history in the 1830s, when Charles Finney came into that city, when Finney preached, it says that literally crime went non-existent in New York. They said the effects of that revival lasted for 40 years after. You show me revivals. In Portland, when the revival hit during, uh, during the, the Great Awakening, in the, in the early 1900s, John G. Lake, some of these guys, it said that they, history tells us that businesses shut down at noon for an hour and everybody in Portland prayed. Portland, Oregon, prayed. Listen to me. You study, I know we don't teach this in our history books. We're interested in teaching other stuff that's dark. I'm telling you that you study church history, I will show you that in dark times, in turbulent seasons, in times of famines, in times of wars, in times of divide, God has revived His church. He's done it before, and He will, come on, do it again. In Jesus' name, He'll do it again. When God revived a king, the nation was revived. You know, there was 39 kings and one queen. There was only five or six righteous kings. But when those righteous kings were alive, the entire nation turned to God.
Can I ask you, you know what righteous kings did? Righteous kings made it easy for followers to follow Jesus. Righteous kings made it easy for everybody else to turn to God. Can I ask you a question? Are you making it easy for people to turn to God around you? Are you putting peer pressure on people to live godless? We have the power to influence other people. And ultimately, revival will transform culture. What does revival do? Well, it gives you, it gives you an appetite to change. The church word for change is repentance. It's a dirty word today. Because when you hear repentance, you think about that angry dude at the sporting event with a sign that's never led anybody to Jesus in his whole life. That's what we think of when we think of repentance. But repentance, all it means is to change your mind. It means to turn around in your thinking. I would tell you today that true revival makes you turn, change your mind about God. God's not my enemy. He's my friend. God's not my problem. He's my solution. Repentance is when you realize how bad you are compared to God. Have you ever uh, played a sport with someone that's really good? Let me ask you this question. Have you ever thought you were good at a sport until you played with someone that was actually good? It's a very humbling experience. I thought I was a pretty good mountain bike rider, and then I went riding with Cole Seely, and I'm like, yeah, I'm stopped. This guy is doing things on a bike that I'm like, I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know that bikes could do that. It's crazy that when you're with someone that is extremely gifted, there is a sober humility of how, how much you don't have it figured out. And I would say equally, even greater, when you're in the presence of a holy God, you become extremely aware of how holy you're not. The Bible says on your greatest days, your righteousness is as filthy rags. You know what revival does? Is it gives you a heart that goes, God, you are way better than me. I want to become like you. You can write this down. Repentance is taking God's side against yourself. It's a powerful thought. Hey, Mark, you know what? You stink. Let's go on Jesus' side. Okay. I'm throwing Mark under the bus. God, I want you. I believe that revival will make you repent. I believe that true revival will make you change. It'll make you pray. It'll give you a hunger to preach God's word. True revival will make, uh, create a new humility inside of you. And true revival gives you a new appetite to seek after God. Can I ask you a question today? I know it's a little hot. Finish this up. How many would say, my desire for God has increased because of this community, because of Ocean's Church? Would you raise your hand? Really high if you're really proud about it. Come on. I want you to do me a favor. Look around real fast. You know why God's building this church? I'll just be honest. You know why this church will probably be persecuted in the future? Because this is what happens. When God builds his church, the gates of hell attack. But guess what? The gates of hell do not prevail. And what God has done to us, he will do for thousands of others. Good trees produce good fruit. Come on. If you believe it, say amen. We're going to be a church that transforms culture. Stand to your feet. They were first called Christians in Antioch. Christianity was named by non-Christians. And I want you to know that Christianity without Christ is just, Christian without Christ is just in. I don't want to live like in. I want to live like Christ. Can I get a good amen? Almost finished today. Everybody with me still? I, I, uh, I think one of the greatest things that we do to transform culture is let God transform us. One atheist said this. He said, I have a problem with Christianity. Uh, because he said this, he says, you have to look more redeemed if I am to believe in your Redeemer. And I think that one of the things we got to let God do is take us higher. It's hard to tell the world 
around us that, hey, you need Jesus if we're living like we don't need Jesus. One, one scholar said this way, we have to live in such a way that provokes questions for which Jesus is the answer. He's the answer. How are you nice to people when you want to be mean? Well, I'll be honest, to be a Christian, it's not hard, it's impossible. I can't live, with, live like Jesus without the spirit of Jesus. How do you pray for your enemies? How do you bless those that spitefully use you, who persecute? How do you, how do you give when you're going through a financial hardship? Why do you tithe when you're in a tight place? Why do you honor God? Why do you pray when you can figure it out, try to figure it out yourself? Why do you, why do you, why do you? It's not hard to be a Christian, it's impossible. And that's why we need a savior. If we could save ourselves, Jesus didn't have to die on the cross. We need the spirit of Jesus to live like Jesus. Today, I'm summonsing Orange County, Oceans Church, for God so loved Orange County, God so loved Oceans Church, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave Jesus to us so that we can get up. We're not supposed to stay down. We're supposed to, come on, see God ban persecution, dramatically convert people around us, rapidly reconcile the world, unlock generosity, lift other people up, and transform cultures. If you believe it, give him a good hand clap. going to come down. He's going to put an explanation point on this message. God told me last night he's going to heal people with scoliosis. There's people in here that you have crooked spines and God's going to straighten your back out today. There's people in here you have a crooked mind and God's going to straighten your mind out today. We don't serve a God that, come on, that, that, that pats us on the back when we live in a dark, dark space. We, love, we serve a God that meets us in the road and gets us out of the street. He meets us in darkness. He does not leave us in darkness. Grace and truth. We're going to sing this song. I believe many need to be healed today. Come on, Lord, now I want you to sing that song. But many need to be healed today. If you need to be healed, you feel like revival's hitting you right now. God, would you bend the persecution in my life? God, would you dramatically convert my circumstances or people around me? God, would you reconcile the people that are fragmented around me right now? God, would you unlock generosity in my heart? God, would you help me to lift other people up? Would you transform me so I can transform culture? Would you lift your hands and sing the song one time? Come on, Lord, put a fire in us. Make us hungry. Like the dry started shaking. All that died will live again. me call your
Like the dry bones started shaking Oh God died, we'll live again Oh the miracle you're making The beginning, not the end Eternity is waiting See your church, let's go church, reignite Reignite and reawaken Let the God come breathe again Like the dry bones started shaking God, even today, he says, will you give it to me? Will you let me heal? Will you let me forgive you? I believe many people today, you've been carrying your own baggage. And God today, with, a, with an outstretched arm and a mighty hand, says, I want to I meet you where you're at. Some of you have been carrying, again, like just like remorse and guilt and shame. I just see God today taking that burden off your shoulders. I see people, uh, there's someone in here, you have like pancreatic, like beginning stages of pancreatic cancer. I mean, stage one. And I see the Holy Spirit. I heard him say, I'm going to heal stage one. Uh, or just even pancreatic cancer. I saw, I saw people's uh, pancreas being healed. And I just pray right now, Lord. Uh, even someone has an issue with your bowels. I just thank you that, God, you're healing today. So I don't know if it's Lyme disease or some sort of issue, but God is healing your, your digestive tract today. I pray if you need healing physically, you need, you're struggling with mental illness, mental anxiety, fear, night terrors, whatever it is, I just pray if you need healing mentally or physically, there is an anointing today, there is an unction today for the Holy Spirit to heal. So all I'd ask you to do is if you need healing in your body, you believe that God still heals. I just want you to lift your hand. Even if you struggle with believing, come on, just lift your hand. If you need healing in your body, we got some extra faith for you today. Lift your hands. Oceans, do me a favor. Someone's hands up next to you. I just want you to put your hand on their shoulder. Just put your hand on your shoulder. Come on, we're a church that prays for our family. We're family here. And I want you right now, come on with some faith, Ocean's Church. I want you to pray this prayer over those that have their hands up. Say, in Jesus' name. Come on, say it like you mean it, in Jesus' name. We lay hands on the sick, and you promised that they would recover. So we ask you in Jesus' name, the next seven days, starting now, for recovery to take place. Heal broken minds, broken ligaments, tendons, messed up organs, crooked spines, and crooked minds. Heal today. Touch today. Invade their body with the love and the reality of heaven in Jesus Christ's name. Fill them and heal them in Jesus' name. Yeah, just receive that. Yeah, we're going to close. We're going to close like this. If you're here today, you haven't been living with or for God. You've been away from Him. Maybe you've never believed or maybe you used to walk with God. Somewhere along the way, you lost your faith. Today you say, Mark, I want to believe and I want to turn. I want to believe in Him and I want to turn to Him today. 
Some of you believe that God's real, but you're not turning to Him. Today's the day you don't just believe that you turn. I don't know why I feel that strong in the service. You believe there is a God, but you have not turned your attention to living for Him. Letting Him transform your mind and your heart. If you're here and you say, Mark, I want to believe and I want to turn to Him today. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not even going to call you forward. I want you to lift your hands and we're going to pray today. The Bible says the gospel visits your head, but it lives in your heart. For Paul says, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, it says you will be saved. Today, I want you to raise your hands, Lord. Let every person that needs to respond today, eyes closed, heads bowed. Let them not miss this moment. I count to three. One, I pray all over these tents. Hands will begin to go up, Lord. Today's the day that I turn. Today's the day that I believe. Two, this is the day that I turn. This is the day that I believe that Jesus is who he claims to be. Hands up all over the tents. Real high right now. Three, that's me. That's me. That's me. Keep it up. Keep it up. Keep it up. Real high, real high, real high, real high. I see two. Yeah, real high. Three, four, real high. Five, six. Yes, seven, real high, real high, real high. Eight, I see in the back, I see in the back. Nine, anyone else? 10, thank you, in the very back. 10 hands, 10 hands, awesome, awesome. 10 hands, awesome. Put your hand on your heart today. Ocean, just pray, pray this prayer, those that just responded to God. Listen, this is supernatural. The Bible says if we confess with our mouths, believe in our hearts, that God will actually, He'll send His Holy Spirit to live inside of us. He'll awaken us. We'll begin to get up. Pray this prayer, Oceans Church, with those 10 people say, Jesus, today I invite you. Even pray this online. Say, Jesus, today I invite you into my heart. Would you forgive me? Would you heal me? And would you lead me from this day forward in Jesus Christ's name? Come on, I'm telling you, even right now, if you're watching on Detroit Heart, H-E-A-R-T, if you prayed that prayer, we have people even online right now that would love to pray with you and for you. If you're in the tents today and you just prayed that prayer, I would encourage you afterwards, go to our prayer tent, have someone pray for you. Tell somebody today, you need to tell somebody, today was the day I got right with God again, or for the very first time I put my faith in Jesus. Christianity is not private, it's public. So tell somebody to have pray for you. Hey, Oceans, can we have got a good hand clap for all that he's done in these tents? Reminder, reminder, Next Sunday, nothing here. Check social media. It's like a 95% chance we'll be at Bake in the tents there. We set the dot a couple I's and cross a couple T's. Check our social media like Wednesday, Thursday this week. We'll confirm. The game plan is tents there. We'll keep you posted. Otherwise, check social media. Spread the word. Come on, grab a seat. We'll have you out here in two minutes. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.